Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. If you have a Bible, I would invite you to the book of John, chapter 5. John, chapter 5. And uh, uh, we've been working our way through the book of John. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth. If you need one, you can put it in your lap. Feel free to go grab one and open up. If you're a user of the Bible app, you can find our live events and track along with scriptures, sermon notes, uh, that kind of stuff. This, this is where we are in John chapter 5. Um, anybody ever been, you ever had this experience? You've been to a 3D movie? Now, some of them are in vogue, some of them not so much. But 3D movies, let's see them. Come on, hands up. Yeah, uh, you get the little glasses, uh, you put them on. Anybody ever do this? Like you get the glasses, you put them on when the movie starts, and then like you flip the glasses down? Because everybody's a little nerdy like that, especially in our context. You're like, oh, good. Uh, when that happens, what, what, what is true? One, you can kind of see what's going on in the movie, but the reality is, is that no, you really can't. They distinctly, uh, uh, intentionally shoot it in the angles that they shoot it at so that if you're not wearing the glasses, you don't get it right. Like it's all kind of muddy and you can sort of make out, but really it's not enjoyable. It's not uh, what the movie was made for, all this kind of stuff. This is the reality over the next two weeks as we talk through the rest of John chapter 5 about getting Jesus right. And the single point for today, which is one point, here it is. Jesus is God. That's it. That's the single point for today. Jesus is divine. He is the divine Son of God. He is God the Son come in the flesh for you and for me to die for our sins and to rise again and then ascend uh, victoriously um, to the right hand of God like we just sung about. Jesus is God. And why, why is that critical? Well, number one, those are the glasses, if you will, by which we can see this thing correctly. If we don't get Jesus right, we don't get the rest. It all stays muddy and kind of out of focus. We, were, we are created to live in a dimension that we are unable to see without him. That, that is part of it. The second part is, is that there is a kind of, um, it will, any number of religious or cultural trends that will be glad to put Jesus' victim, uh, poor little Jesus, got crucified, had a pretty bad Friday. Um, it, they will put Jesus' teacher, stack him up with all the rest of the teachers, philosophical teachers of the world. Um, that will put Jesus as a religious figure and an important one. That will put Jesus as a historical figure or put Jesus um, in, in, uh, um, as a religious person with something to say, but of their own making. And I'll just give you an example. Um, we drove by the other day on the way up to Camp in the City. Dang, dang, I did it again. <laughs> on the way up to Pine Cove City. I need a bell or something. I don't know. I ring it every time I say it. Uh, on the way up to Pine Cove City and it's a little uh, uh, park where sometimes we stop and play pickleball, uh, which is adult ping pong. If you haven't caught on, it's a way more fun than it sounds. Um, but there's these uh, two guys, white shirts, black tie, black pants, and they're just sitting out there ready to have conversations with anybody who rolls up. Um, our friends from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints believe that Jesus is the son of God like I have sons, offspring. But they do not believe that Jesus is God the Son. They've appropriated the language without um, actually in, uh, dealing with and, and reckoning with the concept. And so what sets Christianity apart from these others, Jehovah's Witnesses and others who show up knocking on your door, is this, that we as Christians believe Jesus is God. He is the divine Son of God. Come in the flesh for us to die for our sins, to rise again, and to, to uh, return victoriously to the right hand of God, and then ultimately uh, to come and reign forever and ever and ever. Jesus is God. That's the single point for today. Here we go. 
Verse 15, uh, sorry, 17. Uh, Jesus speaks and he says, this is how he, the story ends. He's healed the guy at the pool of Bethesda. And he says, but Jesus answered these religious folks who were frustrated with him. My father is working until now and I'm working. This is why, verse 18, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So don't miss that. The, the, Jesus himself knew what he was doing. He was calling himself God. The people who were mad at him and were interacting with him in the story, they knew what he was doing. But yet somehow our culture thinks that we're smarter than Jesus or smarter than the people who were actually interacting with him. And they say, oh, well, nice religious figure, da 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 Or just kind of off, the, he had some good things to say, but kind of off his rocker, thinking he's God. No, no, no. Jesus knew what he was doing. The people who were there knew what he was doing. Let's not be smarter than the folks who... Like, you can reject the fact that Jesus is God, but you can't say that's not what he was claiming. He was claiming to be God. Jesus is God. There's four realities and four implications. just want to touch them as we walk through the text. Here we go. Verse um, uh, 19. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I, the son can do nothing uh, of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. This is what he was talking about earlier. The father's working and I'm working too. What he is saying in that moment is I am imitating what I am seeing. There is an imitation factor. Four realities. First one is imitation. Jesus is doing what he sees the father doing. He is doing it at the same time. He is doing it in the same way and he is doing it to the same degree as he sees the Father doing. If you want to know what the Father is doing or how he would respond in any particular situation, what do you do? You look to Jesus. His, um, he, he is not contrary um, to what the Father has asked, and he is not separated from what the Father has asked, as if he's like, eh, well, maybe this time I'll do my own thing. No, no, no. He is imitating what he sees the Father doing. And why is this critical? Well, it's, it's critical because of this. Out of his kind of identity um, as, the, the, uh, as God the Son, out of his identity, he is living out this imitation for you and for me. He is living out something that is uh, uh, important for us to see and understand because we understand what God is like and what he prioritizes, what he prefers, these kind of things. As we see Jesus work out of his identity, this imitation. Now, what is true for Jesus in that moment is also true for us. You see this, the cross-reference there in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Here's what it says. Be imitators of God as beloved children. So let's start with identity. Just, just as the Son is beloved by the Father, so you also, because of Jesus, are God's beloved children. If you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, he has forgiven you. You have received not only the forgiveness, and you're living in the freedom that he purchased for you, and the life that is stained by eternity um, that he offers, then you are his beloved child. Some people think, oh, well, okay, well, I, I'm like his child, but I'm like the stepchild. You know, like, no, 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 you're not. God doesn't do that way. You are beloved by him. And what would change? Let me just ask the question. What would change about your Thursday if that soaked down into your DNA? If that was like at chromosomal level for you, the world could go to hell in a handbasket all around you. Everything could fall completely off the cliff. And you may very well go with it. 
But you would know I am the beloved son or daughter of God because of Jesus. Then, 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 out of that, be imitators of God as beloved children. So beloved children, that's our identity. And then what's our responsibility is to imitate him. We do the things that he said. We do the things that he did. Um, we think the way that he thought. We feel the way that he felt. Um, we believe the things that he believed. We step into his world to live this way. We don't ask him to do things um, for us that are contrary to him. We're just trying to meld our lives, just trying to uh, uh, yield our lives to who he is and what he's doing so that we can become like him. And so some of us struggle with the beloved part. Some of us struggle with the imitation part. And Jesus says there's both here. He modeled it for us, and it's a reality for us as well. Be imitators of God as beloved children. We're supposed to do this. Why is this important? Because um, the teenagers, uh, Nina mentioned, were killing it this week. They greeted, did all sorts of service stuff around here, helped in any number of ways. Way to go, teenagers. And then there would be points where it was kind of downtime. They hung out. I stepped into one of those, and I was like, hey, y'all want to help me with the sermon on Sunday? And they were like, oh, I've been waiting on this. Fantastic. We had a great little conversation, and I asked the question, like, what is the thing that would uh, uh, that you think, in, in light of your kind of uh, world in life, what is the thing that you would say people think is true about Jesus, but is actually not, according to the Scriptures? And here's what they said, and I'm quoting, Jesus ain't no genie. They said, are you going to say that on Sunday? I said, yes, I am. Jesus ain't no genie. This is what we think, right? That Jesus, you rub the lamp. Uh, that this is their world. That, that if they rub the lamp, Jesus will just do what you want to. He is not asking. Um, uh, uh, we, we don't get to ask him for the things uh, just that we want. Because part of the problem is, is that the things that we want are not good for us. Our wanter is broken. We imitate him as beloved children. How? Uh, by trusting him to do the things. Yes, we talk to him. Yes, we pursue. Yes, we ask things. But we don't expect or feel entitled to things from him because he is the one that we are supposed to follow. He's not supposed to follow us. He ain't no genie. Three times I've said it now, so there you go, okay? You know, Jesus. Second reality, um, imitation. Second reality is Revelation, verse 20. <clears throat> Excuse me. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will show him, uh, will he show him, so that you may marvel. Um, Revelation. Jesus, um, uh, the Father, shares himself with the Son because of love, and then the Son responds out of obedience um, and love. And when he does so, he shows us God. The Son's response shows us who God is. So this is what I was pointing to earlier. Let's now make it explicit. In John 14, verse 9, uh, they're having this conversation. By the way, this is right after the super famous part about, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And uh, Philip, one of the disciples, like, hey, uh, hey Jesus. All this talk about going away and all that, like, kind of scary, terrifying even. If you'll just show us the Father, it'll be enough. And I don't know exactly how this went down. This is in my mind is how it went down. Jesus kind of throws his arm around Philip, like, oh, Philip. Tussle, tussle, noogie, noogie. Have you been with me this long? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. 
If you want to know what the Father's like, what do you do? You look to Jesus. If you want to know how the Father would respond to a situation, what do you do? You look to Jesus. How would the Father speak into this particular part of my life? You listen to Jesus. The Son's response shows us who the Father is. If you've seen Him, you have seen um, the Father. Out of, and why is that? Because he is doing great works already. Uh, this is uh, Jesus in John 1 calls his disciples. John 2, uh, water into wine um, and then uh, cleanses the temple. Uh, John 3, you must be born again. John 4, the woman at the well, living water coming right up out of, out of your soul uh, when he goes to work in you and then healing from a distance. John chapter 5, healing at the pool. These are amazing works. And, God, and Jesus says, and there's even greater works than that to be done. So that you would marvel. So here's a question. When's the last time, when's the last time you sat around and looked and went, dang, God, that's, that's amazing right there. That's amazing. I was talking to Jared uh, just before service. Um, camp kind of serves as student ministry fiscal year. We've baptized one teenager a month since last camp. He says, when, I, when you said, what has God done that made you marvel? That's what made me marvel. Come on. Um, and I, I, somebody asked me this week, why do you think some teenagers walk away from faith once they graduate from high school and kind of get out of the home? I said, because I, I think they think Jesus is boring. Like the, the Jesus that we set before them is boring. So, so this is why we preach the way that we do. It's why Jared preaches the way. It's why we program the way that we do. It's why we want the ministries done. That we're as, like because he's not. He's not. He does even greater works. Um, so that we marvel. Um, uh, otherwise, um, we picture in our minds something like this little character right here. Anybody survive this guy? I mean, really, out of all the things that we in America have done, this, this, the way you got this. I actually have one of these uh, little stuff. I think one of you actually gave it to me. One of these little stuff guys burning on my shelf of little mementos, stories that I tell. Because some people approach Jesus as, hey, some cute kids songs and a couple of great moral lessons. And there comes a point where he goes up on a shelf. Because that's really a kid's thing. You feel that? Um, I'm going to go just with teenagers coming at you and for you as I say this. Don't you go to camp this week. Don't go to camp this week and settle for moral Jesus. Jesus who will uh, give you a couple of extra rules to live by so that your life will turn better. If somebody stands up and says that in some little room in which you are, just raise your hand and go, I'm sorry, that Jesus is way too small. 
the God of the Bible, the Jesus that is represented in the Bible, is the Lord of all things. He is right and good and true and faithful. And you given me the best two rules that you, or best pieces of advice you give. That is too small. I want to worship a God who will enthrall me when I'm 13 and when I'm 33 and when I'm taking my last breath at 83 and I can't wait to meet him. Give me that kind of Jesus. Don't give me a couple of good rules to live by. can't take him and just put him on a shelf when you get a little older. Not the, God, not the God of the Bible. You don't outgrow him. He reveals God to us. He reveals the Father. Verse 21. You got uh, imitation. You got revelation. You got creation. Verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives him life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Life is the prerogative of the Creator. The kind of life that we're talking about here is not biological. It is eternal. Um, he uses the word Zoe, not bios. Um, biological, this is, you know, like your flesh and bones and the air that you breathe. This is not that. This is inviting us to something. This is why he said he raises the dead. Yes, he gives um, life uh, to humans in terms of their physical existence. But he is inviting us to something far, far greater. As part of his creative process, he's inviting you into something far, far better, far more substantial, far more consequential um, than just uh, an existence. He's inviting you into a life that is stained with eternity. He gives life. And he calls it an abundant life. John 10, 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and may have it to the full. Like you take a cup and you fill it up to the brim and you pour just that little bit more so that that little, I don't know how the hydrodynamics work of it all. Some of you can come explain to me later, some of you engineers, but you got just a little bubble there, like to the full. Such that if anything even bumps it, oh, off it goes. Saturated, the sponge is so saturated that if at any point it gets even the hint of a squeeze, out comes all of this life. He gives life. Why is this important? Because it is the prerogative of the Creator. And uh, th- this is about the only way that I could uh, figure out how to point this, trying to use um, some pictures to make sure we're snappy here, because we only have this point that Jesus is God, that Jesus is some version of a commentator or analyst. You stick him on a panel. Hey, Jesus, what do you think about this? Hey, Bob, what do you think? You know, and you just kind of put him in the mix of of people who would have something to say. And most of the time it's good. But, uh, you know, there's a few like legendary bad takes. Hey, Jesus, and you were good on this and this and this and this. That was amazing. Like you call that right. This other stuff, a couple of things here we probably need to uh, revisit. The Internet doesn't forget. I mean, don't remember, like when you tweeted that out, that was really bad. We think that he fits. Among the talking voices, among the talking heads, his voice fits among the voices. His voice is not among the voices. His voice is the voice that brings life. Fourth reality uh, is that to him, because he is God, um, excuse me, because he is God, he is imitating what he sees the Father doing. He is revealing um, what uh, the Father uh, wants him um, to reveal to us. Uh, he is bringing life uh, into death. And in verse uh, 22, he is bringing salvation. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that they all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Everybody is going to face the judge. He is the one who ultimately discerns um, and then... Uh, 
uh, decides and declares salvation. He is the one who does this. Some people think that they can have God the Father without Jesus, God the Son. Um, and and uh, they, they can have Jesus, uh, they can have the Father without, uh, w- without Jesus the Judge. And that's just not the case. Look at verse 23 again. That they may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. It's so important. This concept is so important that Jesus, in his kind of graduation speech in John 15, gives the exact same sentiment in John 15, verse 23. You don't get the Father without the Son. If you don't honor the Son, you don't honor the Father. If you don't um, bow the knee to the Son of God, who is God in the flesh, come for us to redeem us and bring us into right relationship, then you don't get the Father. That sounds terribly exclusive. And it is. And the only thing that is uh, kind of more important than that piece of exclusivity is the inclusivity that it offers. Because nobody's guessing, nobody's wondering, nobody's going to make sure or uh, uh, try to ensure that their scales are tipped in the right direction. Anyone who comes to Him can be forgiven. Anyone who comes to Him can be made right with God. Anyone who comes to Him can experience the life that He purchased for us. Anybody who can. So yes, it is an exclusive claim. But it is for anyone. If you don't get the Father, uh, excuse me, you don't get the Father without Jesus. Just one more picture, silly, but I'm trying to make a point. Jesus is God. Hey, Jesus, we're, we're electing you king for right now. Please don't screw this up because we kind of like you. Like, we'll hold you accountable if you mess things up, right? I mean, you've got my vote for today, tomorrow, you know, like next year, when things aren't going quite right, when you haven't answered, whatever. He is the judge. He is not an elected official who is accountable to us. We are accountable to him. And it's on that basis that he can declare and decide and ultimately deliver salvation for you and for me. Okay, four implications, quickly. Verse 24. I just want to, again, just kind of walk through these last few verses here. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word, because Jesus is God, what are the implications? Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believe him who sent me has eternal life. So number one, Jesus is faithful to his word. He is true to his word. What he says he um, is going to do, he will do. What he says he has done, um, he has done. What he promises to make good on, he will make good on. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him... Um, has eternal life. There's there's good news in that for you and for me. Because he is God, he can keep his word. There's not a circumstance that's going to uh, make him kind of go back on his word. There's not a situation that would change that would kind of catch him off guard and therefore make him crawfish on the deal. There is not a contract that he has signed that will need to be broken. He's not trying to get out of his lease early. I mean, none of those things are true. He is true to his word. Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who hears him and believes him has eternal life. Church family, every promise that he made for you and for me, it is true. Every revelation that he has given us so that we understand who God is, it is true. 
Our best bet is for you and I to come to his word and say, God, you are the one who speaks through this. Now speak to me. Speak to me because you are true to your word. Truly, truly, I say to you, um, everyone who hears my word and believes in who sent me, he's true to his word. What, what is the outcome of that? Has eternal life. Has eternal life. Jesus has the power of life and death. In the book of uh, Revelation chapter 1, uh, John's kind of prepping and he has this vision and this crazy stuff's going on and um, he, he hears a noise behind him and he turns around and the, the, the sight of what he sees causes him to fall down like he's dead. Like, it so messed him up. He's like, I'm out. And Jesus speaks to him and says, hey, I am the one who have the power of life and death. The, the keys to death and hell are in my hands. He has the power of life and death. He has the power to give eternal life. Again, I just want to reiterate what we're talking about here. Not just some version of life. Not just existence um, that you and I can tolerate as we walk through the next however many years that we have here on the planet. Not just, hey, I'm going to try to keep my body in as best shape as possible so that I can muddle through um, however many days I have left. None of that. No, no, no. He offers eternal life. A life that is stained with the power and the glory of eternity. That's what he offers. It is a life in relationship with God today, today, that exists and lasts forever. It endures forever. That's why it's eternal. And it is marked by the quality of eternity such that even when physical death comes, it is not the arbiter or final part of the story. We are indestructible even by death. He has the power of life and death. And Christianity is about that. It is about death and life. It is about um, a resurrection. It is about power. It is about life. Uh, thirdly, uh, fourth, excuse me, third implication. Because Jesus is God, he's true to his word. Because he's God, he has the power of life. And because he's God, he alone can carry our sin. Look at the final sentence of verse 24. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. How does a person not come into judgment, but pass out of death into life? Well, when Jesus carries your sin, that's how that happens. When Jesus is the one who bears our sins, this is how it happens. I know we've done this in here before. I want to do it again, again, just to kind of keep it before us. Um, uh, the, the folks who show up and knock on your door and have a different message um, about who Jesus is, who believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but not God the Son. The, the ultimate thing that comes down for, uh, for me, whenever I get into opportunity to have conversation with them, I ask them this question. Was it a man, just a man, or some special man who died? on the cross for me. Well, I mean, I think he was like, listen, here's the deal. I know how deep and dark my sin is. And I work with people who are deep, dark sinners. If it's just a guy who died for us, we're all in trouble. Only God can take my sin, take your sin, and frankly, mister, take your sin. Only God can take our sin and bear it redemptively. Only God can do that because the weight of my sin alone would crush somebody else, much less all of us combined. Only God can carry this. The only way that he will, um, we will pass out of judgment, not experience judgment, but pass out of death and into life is if Jesus is the one who carries my sin. I know we looked at this before, but I'm going to just point to it again in Psalm chapter 49, verse 7. Listen to what it says. 
Psalm 49 verse 7. Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. No man can carry my sin from me. But God can't. And so it's God who dies on the cross for me. And it's God who rises again for me. It is God who ascends to the right hand of the Father. And it is God who is going to return to take me home. Jesus alone can carry our sin. And last thing, because he's God, he alone can carry our sin. Because he's God, he will deal with evil. Look at verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming. Now is here. When the dead hear the voice of God, and those who will hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Don't marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Here we go. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. Those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Jesus will ultimately and finally, because he's God, he will deal with evil. You know what that means? Just real practical for you and for me. Because he will deal with evil, I don't have to. Oh, it's in me. From the people who cut me off in traffic to much, much greater things than that. From the people who speak evil about me. For the people who would like to inflict harm upon somebody I care about. Oh, it's in me. But because he will deal with it, I don't have to. When God says vengeance is mine, it's because there's coming a day when the resurrection will happen and those who've done good will go to eternal life and those who haven't will meet um, Jesus the judge and and face full and final judgment. I can live my life without the tyranny of revenge because Jesus will deal with evil. And not just the kind of evil we've been talking about. I can live my life without the bitterness of hating, whether it be a person or cancer or something else, because Jesus will ultimately and fully and finally deal with evil. So out of those four implications, Jesus is God, so he's true to his word. Jesus is God. So he has the power of life and death. Jesus is God and he alone can carry our sin and do so redemptively. And ultimately, Jesus is God. He will deal finally and fully with evil. Out of those four implications, here's the question. Which do you need most space for in your life right now? You need to clear some space on a bookshelf to set one of those. Which one of those do you need most right now? Which one of those four has the Holy Spirit spoken to you and going, hey, 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 we need more conversations about this? Those four, because Jesus is God, these things are true. Let me pray for us. Um, Father, it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And Lord Jesus, we just our confession is we join the billions of other Christians around the globe today confessing you are God and you alone can handle the stuff that we have. So I pray um, and ask that you would uh, uh, 
Put your finger on the places where we need this particular application. Put your finger on the places um, where uh, we need, as I said, to kind of make room on the bookshelf of our life for that. Put your finger on the places um, where you say, I'm going to show up big. I'm going to show up in, in full size. I'm not a kid's toy to be messed with here. Um, put your finger on that place and then let us respond accordingly. Give us faith for that. At the place where we need courage, give us courage for that. Um, would you silence the voice of the enemy who would want to deceive and let truth ultimately, fully, finally reign in this moment so that it can set us free? Do so, Father, for Jesus' sake and by your Holy Spirit's power. Amen and amen.